Wow. Wasn't that good? That was good, yeah. That's right, man. Gosh, come and charge my tick, wouldn't you? Charismatic, yeah, you go. Good job, guys. Real good. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to turn this up a notch today, and we're going to walk through some stuff with each other, all right? I want to I wanna ask you right now, are you going to listen, yes or no? Are you going to listen, yes or no? Okay, we're going to walk through uh, some stuff today that, again, we as a church have got to become focused on what it really means to reach our community. That's what it's all about. Impacting lives through the power of the towel. Impacting lives through the power of the towel. I'm going to bring a first picture up for you. There's a, if y'all go ahead and bring that first picture up. You know, what's wrong with these pictures? First one. First one, look at this. This is a church that's about three miles from Liberty's campus. Now, what's wrong with that picture there? Somebody tell me. There's a no trespassing sign, keep out sign right in front of it. Why would it have something like that? In fact, that's going to end up in a book one day, I can promise you, okay? Debbie and I were driving by there about uh, four or five years ago, and we, and we uh, were driving by the church and just saw that sign. Well, I began to look and uh, closely drove up in the parking lot, and it has a no trespassing sign on that side, has no trespassing sign on that side, and it has a no trespassing sign in front of the parsonage right down from it. Now, how does that happen? I can tell you how it happened. It happened in, in one of those sinful things called Baptist business meetings, okay? That's what happened. Someone, someone says, you know what? We got a bunch of people drinking and smoking in our parking lot on Friday night and they're partying. We need to do something about it. Now, again, I'm not sure, but I'm just imagining what this would do. So rather than thinking about how you could actually reach those people and minister those people, the idea was how do we keep them out of our parking lot? And since it costs too much to to have the police come because they'll charge you. It costs too much to hire people to do this. We put a sign up rather than trying to connect with them. I've got a friend of mine in uh, uh, Texas where kids were coming to his parking lot and using skateboards. You know what he did? He didn't call the police and try to get rid of them. You know what he did, guys? He actually in, uh, started setting up skateboard ramps. He, he called his insurance company and found out what it would take. You know what ended up happening? Pretty soon he had six, eight hundred skaters from all over the community. And you know what they ended up doing? They ended up turning their church building over to a skate church for the whole community. And they ended up buying a church about a mile down the road from them where the church actually moved and administered and started planting churches all over the place. And they were having people saved every week through this. Think about that. I wonder how many of us would go, no, 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 that's my church. <laughs> Look at this. No trespassing. Keep out. Look at the next one. Look at the next one. No trespassing, church activities only. Now, come on, think about that. That's a church actually in Lynchburg. There's another one in Lynchburg. I don't have the, the actual sign, but under the sign, it says violators will be prosecuted. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Violators will be prosecuted. Well, how, do we, how do we do that? How does that happen? I mean, how do we, you know, what are we doing? We're telling people, if you live across the street, it's Christmas morning, and you want your kids to learn to run, ride their bike on your asphalt there, that what are we going to do, you know, the moment you show up, the SWAT team shows up, and they take you to, ju- you know, to jail, and they take your kid to juvie, you know what I mean? This is crazy. No, guys, it's never meant to be. The church is not meant to be, you know, it's meant to be the people, not a building. It's not a location. It's about reaching people with the gospel. That's what it's about. You know, think about this. This is, bring up the next one. This is the result of what happens with this. Don't bring it up yet. This is kind of the result of the kind of mindset that happens, you know, when we do this. A friend of mine pastors a church in Charlotte, North Carolina, 
he took it over when they were running about about 200. And here's what happened. The church began to uh, get upset because they were inviting people from the local community because there was all these young families in their local community. They were coming in and, and they were changing the worship style and all this kind of stuff. So the church got upset. So next thing you know, under his great leadership, they went from 100, 200 down to 100 <laughs> the first year. Then they went from the second year from 100 down to 50. And here's what happened. The, the last lady who left the church walked out because she was upset because things were changing. Here's what she said. She said, Pastor, you, your problem is that you think the church is a movement of God to change the world. And we think, go ahead and bring it up. We think, while we believe the church should be a community organization for Christians. Which one is it, guys? The top one or the bottom one? Top one. But we treat it like it's the bottom one, don't we? It's a community organization for Christians. No. No. By the way, that church runs over a 1,000 now. They're reaching people like crazy in that community. They're, they are because there has to be a mentality that sets forth that says this is who we're going to be. You see, ultimately, 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 servant evangelism that I'm going to talk about today. Servant evangelism is me and you getting our hands dirty by intentionally stepping outside of our comf- comfortable church subculture in order to meet both the physical and spiritual needs of those around us through the power of the gospel. That's what we're supposed to do, through the power of the gospel. To meet the needs of those people around us through the power of the gospel. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Bring up the scripture, if you will. Uh, how do we do this? Here's how we do it. John, Mark chapter 10 simply says this. But Jesus called them to himself, verses 42 through 45. And he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lorded over them. And the great ones exercise authority over them. But that, you know, it's great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what is, the, what is this passage telling us? Jesus is responding to James and John who felt entitled. James and John felt like that it was, they had told Jesus, they said, when you come into your glory, we want to sit at your right hand and your left hand. They felt entitled. They felt like, Jesus, we've been doing all this stuff for you. What are you going to do for us? What's in it for us? And guys, I'll be honest with you, that's our generation today. That's the way people go to church today. That's why the Western church I, I saw a statistic the other day, guys. North America is the only continent where Christianity is declining. And get this. I saw a guy write an article the other day, and this is what he said. He said, he said when you look at the church worldwide, the only church that, that he believes will not have an influence on the culture of the world is the Western church. Because we are too weak and we are too divided to actually make a difference in the kingdom of God. Think about that. We're much like James and John. If it doesn't fit our needs, we'll find another place to go, and that fits our needs. And we think church is about us finding a place that fits our needs. Look around. Look around. You know, we, we, uh, I, asked a, I had a meeting with our Sunday school teachers a couple weeks ago, and I said, guys, why don't you get a hold of people who've been missing and, and continue to stay after them and stuff. And we went up, guys, we had the highest Sunday school attendance we had in forever. Do you look around and see people that aren't here, yes or no? Why not touch base with them? Why not connect with them? Why not do that? Why not get a hold of them 
you know, and realize, guys, that it's not about entitlement. It's not about that. Come on, guys, I'm gonna, I'll be honest with you. You can find better shows other places. You can. You can. You can find better shows. But if all we're looking for is a show, then we're missing it. It's not about shows. James and John were worried about themselves. What did Jesus say? He said, if you want to be great, you'll be a servant, which is the word diakone. We get the word deacon from. And it literally meant to wait on tables. It's where we get, where we get the word minister from. It means to wash feet. Then he says this. He says, no, what you're really supposed to be is a slave. Look at me, all of you. We're supposed to be slaves. That means we couldn't care what, what anybody else thinks or what we think or what, it, what it's all about. It's about what he wants. We're a slave to Christ and him alone. The word there is the word, in the Greek is the word doulos. It means do not eat, do not drink, do nothing unless the master first wills it. It's what it is. That's what it is. It's about him. See, that friend of mine understood that down in Charlotte. He understood that, that he'd rather have 50 people that are really committed than 200 people who just basically mess with him all the time. Why? Because he knew that the gospel would multiply if given to people who wanted to know Christ. Guys, we have a desperate world out there. Look around you. Look at what's happening all across our nation right now. And every one of us has opinions about what's happening across our nation. But you know the problem with our nation is our nation is not committed to Christ. We do not see ourselves as doing that. We look in the mirror and we're upset at what we don't get and what we don't have. And we're not cared about being a slave to God. Do you know what I mean? You know what, you know what, you know what happened in that culture when you were a slave? When Jesus said this to his disciples, I guarantee you, here's what they did. They went, they, they went gasp. They went, did he just tell us that we were supposed to be slaves? Yes, that's what he said. Because in their culture, a slave was not even considered to have a soul. There was no hope for a slave. A slave was a wasted piece of human flesh. He's saying, forget what everybody else is saying. Forget our opinions. Forget our stuff. Get on board with the gospel of Christ. Be a slave to the gospel of Christ. To Christ alone, that's what it is. That's what he was telling James and John. He said, in fact, here's what he said. He said, for even I, the Son of Man, did not come to be served. He could have easily sat down and said, look, I'm the king of the world. I created everything. You know, he could have driven the greatest chariots. He could have had them waiting on him all the time. But that's not what he did. What did Jesus do? He took the form of a servant. And he washed the feet of his disciples, which was considered the lowest possible thing you could do. Not only that, he fed them. And in his presence was Judas, who turned his back on him. And he still loved him enough to wash his feet and to feed him. Look at me, guys. If you want to reach this community, and that's what this church is all about. That's what it's supposed to be. It takes us being servants. It takes us, every one of us, sacrificing. It don't matter how old we are, how young we are. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. It doesn't matter at all. Jesus is saying, this is how you're supposed to respond. Don't be like anyone else. Be like me. Serve because you love me. Care because you love me. Come together because you love me. Love me. That's what he said. That's what he's telling us. Bring the next slide up. You see, the main point of this is the church is called to serve God and to serve other people, not ourselves. It's called to serve God and serve other people, not ourselves. We are his church. We're called to serve other people. Guys, that's what God, that's what God's put Rocky Mount Baptist Church in this community for. That's what he's placed us here for. 
for us to reach into this community and touch people with the gospel. Come on, how many of you in this church right now know someone in this community that doesn't know Christ or you suspect they don't know Christ? Come on, raise up your hand. It's all over our community, isn't it? Come on, how many of y'all know people that are having a really hard time in life? You know some people that are really struggling. Some of those may be you. I want to promise you this. The greatest thing you can ever do is, is connect and surrender yourself fully to Christ and say, God, I want to be a part of what you're doing. I set this friend day outside because I wanted us to have one time before Christmas because Christmas is the one time of the year, it seems now, where more people come to Christ than any other time. So I want us to put one day aside and simply say, let's try to get everyone we can here. Let's work towards that. And in doing so, let's plant some new seeds so we can set a new field for a harvest for a new year. Because every one of those people we pray for, every one of those people we serve, every one of those people we touch, every card that we give out, that we, we, that we and don't just hand it, but we do something for someone else in that what we're saying to the world and what we're saying to our community is we love you so much just because we care. We're not doing this for anything else, but we just care for you. We love you. That's what it is. That's the focus that Jesus was saying. So bring the next one up. How do we do this? How do we do this? Well, there's three ba basic things we need to understand. First of all, we must understand, we must see others through the eyes of Christ. So what does that mean? Well, there's three different ways that we see this, okay? Go ahead and bring that up. First of all, is that we, uh, the question we have to answer is, how do we see and respond to the unsaved now? You see, either we evade, pervade, or invade. Evade, pervade, or invade. Go ahead and bring that up, please. Evade, pervade, or invade. That's what we do. Now, most of us are really good at evading. Guys, the church has been good at evading for years, haven't they? Think about this. How many of you guys have ever played in a church league uh, softball team or something like that before? You ever done that before? Why do we have church league softball teams? Guys, I don't like playing with church league softball. You know why? Because I would rather play with lost people any day who act like lost people than a bunch of Christians acting like lost people. Because that's what happens so often in our church leagues. My last church I was pastoring, one of the guys came up to me and said, Pastor, why don't we start a church league? Why don't we start a softball team? He said, we can play in a church league down the road here. I said, that's a, that's a great idea, except we're not going to play in the church league. He said, where are we going to play? I said, we're going to play in the beer league, the open league. He looked at me, and I kid you not, this is what they said. They said, he said beer. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think Jesus would do if he were here? What do you think he would play? He'd play where lost people are, right? How many of you guys in this church like to fish? Come on. You're, you're country boys. Come on. How many of y'all like to fish here? Ladies here. Come on. How many of y'all like to fish? Uh, all right. How many of y'all like to catch fish? Raise your hand up really high. Yeah, I'm ADD. I like to catch fish, guys. If I go fishing more than 15 minutes, don't catch something, I'll jump in the water, grab a rock, a stick, or something, and take it home with me, okay? That's just what it is. I like to catch fish. Let me ask you a question. Years ago, my dad was an old country boy from East Tennessee. My father, I asked him one time, I said, what's the secret, Dad, to catching fish? Here's what he told me. You can write this down. Remember, this is deep theological stuff. This is what my father said. He said, son, if you want to catch fish, you always fish in stocked ponds. Now, I'm like, well, yes, Captain Obvious, of course. Yes. What does that mean? What does that mean? That means that what do we do with churches? We try to fish in ponds that aren't stocked, guys. We know where the fish are. We just don't want to go where the fish are. That's exactly it. So guess what happened? We, brought, we, we, got, we joined this, this local league in the beer league. And by the way, if you ever play in the beer league, the open league, guys are big and they're wild, I promise you. 
I played in a bunch of them. So we played in the beer league. We showed up the first night. Our team was called His Team. Okay? And we're sitting there that night, and we're, we're, we're showing up, and I'm riding out the lineup, and a guy walks up behind me. He says, Pastor, I said, look at that team over there, how big they are. I said, I know those guys. They drink beer and cuss and act terrible. This is no place for me to bring my family. I said, you, I said, you let your family watch TV, don't you? He said, yeah. I said, well, this is like a reality show. <laughs> Guess what the name of the team was we played the first night, guys? The Nasty Boys. I'm not exaggerating. I'm, it's the truth. We beat the Nasty Boys. We beat everybody. We won the whole league. At the end of the year, there were three families off the Nasty Boys that joined our church, and we baptized them as their family. If you want to fish, you go where fish are. That's what we have to do. We don't evade lost people. We don't pervade them by screaming, hollering, and yelling at them. We invade by washing their feet, by serving them, by giving up ourselves, which means we give up our opinions and all this kind of stuff. Guys, you'll never meet a more opinionated human being on the face of the earth than me. And I realized early in my ministry that if my prophet side always won out, I might be right, but nobody's going to listen to it because I'm going to blow everybody away. Here's what I learned from my wife. My wife has a spiritual gift of service. My wife was born with a towel in her hand. Her gifts are mercy and service. Total opposite of me. Total opposite. You know what I've learned over the years? I've learned that my wife can reach more people with a towel by loving them, by taking some cookies to them, than I can ever reach by screaming at her. We baptize people every place we've ever lived because of that. I came to my wife one day and I said to her, Debbie came to me, it was 1995, she just had her first hip replacement. She came to me and she said, David, she said, I know that God has something for me in this community. So we began to pray and she just got off her crutches. And this is what she said. Started praying at the bus stop. She started watching these kids walk home to empty houses. You know what my wife did? She she knew that they had to do a science project just like my kids. So what my wife did was she went back to the library. She, she has a science degree from college. She researched out a half a dozen science projects. And she went back to every one of those houses. And she said, if you'll let your kids, when they get off the bus every day, come to my house, I'll feed them, take care of them, help them do their science project. Guys, we had glitter from wall to wall in our house for, for six weeks. At the end of that, we baptized a father and his two sons next to us, and a mother and daughter right across from us, because one very ill lady said, it's not about me, it's about God. What can God do through us? We baptize our neighbors next to us, because my wife has been loving on them. She, she recognized that they had needs, they needed someone to pick up their kids from school, and take them to swim practice, it's a young family. So the first person we baptized was Ben, Ben's now, he's going to be 16 next year. Ben feels called to go to ministry. I hope one day to be teaching in the seminary. Then I baptized Savannah. Savannah was about a year and a half after Ben. You know what, what happened? Savannah, Debbie was driving Savannah to school one morning, and Savannah made a statement about the fact of Christmas. And she said, you know, I'm going to have a bad Christmas. I've been a bad girl this year. All I'm ever going to get is coal in my stocking. That's what she said. She, said, she was about eight, nine years old. And my, uh, my wife looked at her, and she says, Savannah? Savannah, do you know that Jesus loves you? Yes, I hear about that because her family started going to church with us. She said, yeah, he loves you. Do you know that it doesn't matter how much coal you've, get, you've garnered up, that God can forgive you of that? 
I baptized Savannah a couple months after that. Next was Mike. Mike was a police officer. In our culture today, police officers, Mark, you know this, are, are, are treated horribly in a lot of places. And Mike Mike's really was really struggling with a lot of things. He didn't trust a lot of people because he saw the underbelly of Lynchburg and all kinds of stuff. You know what we started doing? We started doing ride-alongs with Mike, started loving on him and caring for him. And Mike watched how Debbie loved his kids. Last year, I baptized Mike, along with my future son-in-law. I could tell you story after story all day long of people we've seen. At the same time, I baptized William on the side next to us because my wife had been ministering to his family. He's an African young man. You know what? My daughter had taken him to buy him ice cream and, and been kind of a sister to him and loving on him and caring for him. You know what my daughter did? She pitched for Liberty University. She, she, she was on two national championship travel teams pitching. She decided to use her talent and give it back to God, just like every one of you have things you can do. I promise you. We did a clinic a while back. We had 40 young people come to Christ through the clinic. Guys, I could tell you all day long. You know, we give out apple dumplings. Debbie cooks those for our neighbors, and we take those to them. You know, when we were, when we were in uh, Ohio, we had a lady across the street from us that we kept loving on. She wouldn't talk to anybody. She'd come in her house. You know what I did? I just started mowing her grass. I never asked her permission. I just started mowing her grass for her. I started weeding the yard for her. She didn't want to do it. I did it free for her. One day, my, we're out there sweeping off her driveway after I mowed her grass, and I turn around, and it's her. And I go, Joanne, what are you doing here? And she looked at me, and she said, I kid you not, my wife had made her pie after pie after pie, and we'd been loving on her the best we could, and Joanne was distant, and she was not real nice and everything like that. But that day, she walked out. I'll never forget this. And by the way, in 10 years since we've been gone from Ohio, we still stay in contact with Joanne. Joanne looked at us that day, and that word for word, here's what she said. She said, David, I don't know. What's, what you guys are all about. She said, I, I can't quite figure it out. She said, all I know is I haven't been to my church in 35 years, and they've never done anything for me. She said, whatever it is you guys have, I want that. <laughs> right across the street from us was, was uh, Gail. And you know what we did? We, we ministered to her. She was a believer, or Jean's her name, Jean. We, we shoveled her snow for her, ministered to her. It was her son that we were able to reach out. That took three years to finally Doug came to Christ. Doug went through a divorce. He eventually ended up leading his ex-wife to Christ and his daughter to Christ as well, too. You know, next to him was Kenny and Carolyn. Kenny and Carolyn both were in the military. And we shoveled their snow for them and started loving on them. Next thing you know, I helped Kenny pour some, some concrete one day. And sitting out there with a glass of sweet tea. A lot of good things happen around a glass of sweet tea, right? We sat out there in the dry, his, one day and shared the gospel with Kenny. Found out that Kenny had been really hurt because he went through a divorce and his church kind of treated him awful. I could go on and on and on about that. I had a student a while back turn around at Starbucks and just buy a person's coffee behind him and said, hey, tell me your story. An hour later, he got to lead him to Christ. I had students out yesterday all over Roanoke. I can show you pictures on my phone of them out serving, doing things, getting chances to opportunity to share the gospel with people, taking up food, delivering it to senior citizens' homes, delivering it to houses. We adopted a house of a hoarder a couple of years ago. Our students did and cleaned out the house so we could share the gospel with their whole family. I could go on and on and on. Because you know what the world's looking for? What the world's looking for? They're looking for authenticity and realness. They don't want our opinions and couldn't care less about our opinions. 
We've spent, we have expressed our opinions too much in church. We think church is about us, and we think God actually cares about our opinions. God doesn't care about our opinions. God cares about people. God cares about souls. He cares about reaching people. That's what he cares about. That's what it's all about. It's about us reaching people. Listen to me. I promise you this, guys. The greatest joy you will ever have is when you take your kids and grandkids with you and you start serving those neighbors next to you and you're sitting there with those neighbors and you're leading them to Christ and your kids are seeing you doing it and they're a part of it. Both of my daughters led their first person to Christ within two weeks after they were baptized. Dana was seven. Seven. And she walks in two weeks after Easter when she got baptized. That would have been 1994. She walks in and she says, Daddy, I've shared Christ with Kristen and Nicole, our two of her best friends. Can you pray with them? Seven years old. You know why? Because since the time she couldn't walk, I would carry her. And we would go to our neighbors and we would love on them and we would do stuff. And they would be there with us raking their leaves and handing things out. Or we would bake the cookies together and they would decorate those that we would deliver to our kids around us. All kinds of things like that. And because of that, it opened up doors and opportunities to share the gospel with people, to love them. Bring the second thing up here, will you? Second thing, we must see others through the eyes of Christ. Secondly, we must also love them. Just bring the whole thing up, if you will. We must love them through the, uh, through, through the life and the love of Christ. We must serve them. Bring the rest of it up, please. So what kind of message are we sending? Well, first and foremost, people must sense our expectations, and they must see and experience our love. See, here's what we do with lost people. We, we look at them and we look down upon them because they're lost, because they don't know what, what's going on. So we expect lost people to act like they're saved before they can be saved. Come on. How many times you hear someone say, when I get my life right, I'll come back to Christ? Guys, if people can get their life right, they don't need Christ. Right? But here's what we do. We look down upon them. We say, look what they're wearing. Look what they're saying. Look what they're doing. So a kid shows up at our back door of our church. He's wearing a Budweiser shirt. He's got a got big old tattoos all over his arms and 14 different colors of hair. He's got, you know, and everything got cut off jeans and everything like that. Who cares? And we want to say to him, boy, you go home and dress respectful when you come into God's house. Forget that. You set that kid in here. You love him to Christ. You know what he'll do? He'll go back and reach his friends. Guys, I couldn't care less how many tattoos my kids have on them. I have parents all the time get mad at me for saying that, but it's the truth. Because I don't think God cares a lick about the outside. I think he cares more about the inside. Guys, the most faithful people I've ever met in my life have been a lot of those students that have been tatted up there at Liberty. Do you know who the meanest people I've met a lot of times? have been people wearing suits and ties and dresses on Sunday morning. At least those kids are honest. They love people. I've seen those kids over the last three years raise $180,000 to take teams to, to minister to people in the Philippines. To sacrifice, to, 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 to give up their own stuff so they could do that. Look at me. We've got to stop with expectations. I call this the microwave principle. If you'll bring up the next slide, the microwave principle. You see, I learned this in 1984. Debbie and I, were, uh, uh, we bought our very first microwave oven and we brought it home. We set it on our counter. And, and I went, being ADD, I wanted to see how it worked. I think God changes people from the inside out, not the outside in, right? And so here's what happened. As, as I went through all of our kitchen looking for what to do, so I, there was nothing to cook because I wanted to, I'd, never, I'd never used a microwave my whole life. I know that's hard for young people to understand, but 1984, I was the first guy in my family to have a microwave. I was. That was a big deal. Y'all remember that, don't you? It was a big deal. And so I, I bought the $75 at Kmart, brought that thing home, 
And I went through the kitchen, couldn't find anything to cook. So you know what I did? I looked in the refrigerator. There was a half a dozen eggs in the refrigerator. I'm not kidding you. I took two of them out, rolled that in the microwave. This is true. My wife will tell you. And, and I t- cranked that dude up on high. I didn't have a clue. A few minutes later, <laughs> it literally blew the door open of the microwave. I told my classes last year, one of my students came up to me, and he went back to his dorm. I did it in his dorm, and he videotaped. He looked like the way you look. It worked. You're right. <laughs> Don't do that. I'll get fired. Don't do that, please. You know? But, but you know what? I went to my Sunday school class the next day, and I told them, I said, guys, do you know? Did you, did you, I think my microwave's broken, busted my egg. And one of the guys David, said, David, do you not understand the principle of the microwave? I said, no. What are you talking about? He said, a microwave oven cooks from the inside out, not the outside in. I got to thinking that's a great spiritual principle, isn't it? As people change, the, what happened to that egg was, as it started cooking, it swelled. And as the gases built up inside the shell, boom, it exploded all around him, right? Where do the rivers of life come from? They don't come from deep within inside of us. You see, guys, you can only really change the outside when you're changed on the inside. That's what it's about. So finally, bring up the last one. We must see others through the eyes of Christ. We must serve others through the life and love of Christ. Then we must speak the message of Christ. Remember, kindness is the language that the mute can speak and the deaf can understand. I'm asking you today as a church for us to grab hands with each other. I'm asking for us to do this, to grab hands and to sacrifice together that we may be able to reach this community with the gospel. I'm asking you to go home and think about what you can do with your neighbors. Oh, they'll never listen to me. Yes, they will. You, ladies, let me tell you something. I've had senior adult ladies say, don't ever listen to me. Yes, they will. You start cooking for them. I promise you, you cook for me. I get saved. You cook for me, all right? You start cooking for them. I can promise you, you start doing stuff for your neighbors, not just church members, but people who don't know Christ, and start loving on them and doing things for them because that's what the church is called to do. That's who we are called to be. Bring up the last picture, if you will. I'll close today by sharing this. I had the opportunity in 2004 to be the interim pastor at a church in Columbus, Ohio. It was in Lithopolis, Ohio, just south of Columbus. I will never forget this. I got a call one Wednesday night from a guy in my church. His name was Mark. I've been teaching on servant evangelism that fall, just like I am with you guys. That's why we went through prayer. That's why I went through what it means to get out of your boat, because I know for some of us this is a challenge. I did the same thing with them. We began to talk about servant evangelism. Well, Mark took that very seriously. Not only did he work with the downtown feeding center, you know what he did? He he started taking his neighbors. He found out his neighbors across the street who had already had three miscarriages, eight years of marriage, his neighbors across the street were going to have a child. So you know what he did? He helped them paint their nursery. He helped them mow their yard. He helped them, all this kind of stuff. But he never could get them to come to church. He tried to share with them. Finally, little Aiden was born. Mark called me that Wednesday. He said, David, can you go to the hospital tonight to visit Aiden? So that night I went to visit the hospital. I went to church. Then I drove out to the hospital to visit Aiden. When I got there, I met Doug and Leslie for the first time. They gave me permission to use the picture. I met them for the first time. I'll never forget that meeting them. They looked at me and we talked to each other and we prayed. They said, David, if you come back tomorrow, we'll let you see Aiden. Something was going on, but they wouldn't tell me. They had to do some extra test on Aiden. So I prayed with the family that night, and I left. The next day, I went to work. got a phone call about 1230, just right after lunch. 
I got a phone call and they said, David, can you meet us at Children's Hospital there in Columbus, Ohio? So I got up, drove over there, I got there about 1.15. Five minutes before I got there, after three miscarriages, eight years of marriage, three miscarriages and eight years of marriage, Doug and Leslie, the doctor told them the little Aiden had a congenital brain defect and would never live off the respirator. He would never go home to that little nursery that they made. He would not live. They were devastated, as you can imagine. I cried with them for an hour. I was sick, just like right now for some reason. Had a bad sinus infection. I went home that night. They told me, they said, David, why don't you go home? Had a fever. Why don't you go home, get some rest, and come back tomorrow. We'll deal with all this tomorrow. I went home that night, and I did something I never do. I went, I went to bed at about 8 o'clock. You know, I took a shower, went to bed. 8.45, we get a phone call. It's Doug. Debbie brings the phone in the room. I can still close my eyes and see it. And she said, David, Doug wants to talk to you. I got on the phone, and Doug said, David, everyone's at the hospital. Can you meet us there tonight? Now, I'll be honest with you. I was thinking a lot of stuff of what, what we think every time we think about reaching people and talking to them. I was thinking to myself, it's not convenient tonight. It's not easy. I've already got my pajamas on. I've already taken my shower. You know, I have to comb my hair again. It's not going to be fun. It would be the first time I'd be back in a neonatal nursery since Carol was born, and it was Christmas time. It'd bring back too many memories. You know, it wasn't going to be, it wasn't, and I just gave all these excuses. In my mind, I was thinking of all these things. You know, you told me to go back. I'm sick. Why in the world would you do this? Come on, why do you expect me? Blah, 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 blah. I was thinking all this, but that's not what I said to them. What I said to them was, I'll be there in a few minutes. I got dressed, combed my hair, drove to the hospital. When I walked in, there were about 20 people in that little room. I'll never forget this. Then Aiden in the middle hooked up to a respirator. This changed my life. They took little Aiden out, and they would place him in the arms of mom and dad, close friends and family, who would hold on to Aiden as long as they wanted one time. One time. And then they took pictures. About 1.30 in the morning, Doug walks over to me and offers to me the greatest privilege I've had in ministry since baptizing my two daughters, and lead my wife to Christ when I was 17. He said, do you want to hold on to Aiden too? And I said, absolutely. So I went over and sat down. They took some pictures. Right after this picture was taken, the whole family gathered around. We prayed, and everybody left but me, Mom, and Dad. When I turned around, it was one of the saddest things I've ever seen. I saw Doug and Leslie standing over that crib next to each other, holding on to each other, just rubbing the head of that little baby boy. The nurse walked in, and she started crying. The doctor walked in, and he started crying. I was just blubbering, and I said, look, let's pray. So we bowed our heads, and we just started praying, and God calmed everybody down. The doctor looked at Doug and Leslie and said, are you ready? I said, how do you answer that? They sat down in those two rocking chairs. Well, that doctor flipped off that machine, took that tube out of Aiden's throat, wrapped him up in those blankets, laid him in the arms of mom and dad for the few moments they held on to him where his brain was not telling his heart to beat, and Aiden died in the arms of his mom and dad. They held on to him about an hour or more. Two days later, I preached Aiden's funeral. I got to share the gospel with the whole family, tell them there was hope in Jesus Christ. Six weeks after that picture, I baptized Doug, the father. Leslie joined her church. 
I'm reminded that had I not been there at night, had I followed every excuse that came up that I can't do this, 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 blah, 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 Doug may never have come to Christ. Let me share something with you. Last spring, I got a phone call. It was the pastor of this church. He's a good friend of ours. He's still the same pastor that took over after I left. The pastor of the church, this is what he said. He said, David, this morning I got a phone call that I knew you'd want to know. You see, the first phone call I received when I moved to Lynchburg was from Doug and Leslie, and they gave, gave birth to a healthy little baby boy named Tristan. I got a phone call last spring from, from Pastor Mike. He said, David, I just thought you'd want to know how this keeps on giving. He said, Doug and Leslie called me this morning and said, Tristan walked into our, the room last night, this little nine-year-old boy, and said, Mom, Dad, I'm ready to accept Jesus into my life. And Mom and Dad led him to Christ. Had I not been there that night, had I done what I wanted to do, what was best for me, I'm sick, I don't want to, it's not easy, it's not convenient. Had I only been thinking about my feelings, I'd have missed one of the greatest blessings I've ever had. Listen to me. Listen to me, Rocky Mountain Baptist Church. God has his hand on this place. And God wants to do amazing things through his people. But he will not force us. He is waiting for us to wake up and to say yes I'll do this. I'll reach this community. I'll be a part of this. It's time we move beyond simply sitting to serving. Every one of us knows someone who doesn't know Christ. Every one of us knows someone who's hurting in this community. Every one of us knows someone we could reach out today to. Every one of us knows someone who may not be here because they're hurting. Every one of us knows someone in Sunday school may not be here because they're hurting. We, every one of us knows, and we may be hurting ourselves. You see, we know people that are up to here with the mud of this world, and they're drowning in this world. They're drowning. And listen to me. I want you to catch this right now. Next to the gospel of Jesus Christ, next to the word of God, next to the Holy Spirit, the greatest tool we have to reach this community is the towel. Here's my question for you as a church. Who's going to pick it up? Who's going to pick it up and take it back to your community, to your family, to your friends, to your Sunday school class, to your neighbors? Who's going to pick it up? That's what this is all about. Look at me, all of you, please. Guys, some of us are going to be so surprised when we get to heaven. So surprised. But God is telling us right now, what's it going to take for us to finally say yes to Jesus? To pick up the towel and be the church he's made us to be. I've been waiting for four months there to be a breakthrough in our church for, because I felt when I went through the stuff on getting out of your boat, man, I've had people come tell me privately, 
I've been waiting for four months to see us finally break through and respond and just say, we're ready to really give this up. And I know it's spiritual battles. But time is wasting, guys. Either we are about reaching this community or we're not. Either we're about taking the gospel to the world or we're not. Either we're about reaching beyond ourselves or we're not. We need to answer that question. And if we do, we have to pick up this towel and be willing to go.